Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about activities for a parent with dementia is Judy Levy. Judy's work experience ran the gamut from pediatrics, establishment of a hospital occupational therapy rehabilitation program, work in a home rehabilitation program, to educational as a local college occupational therapy guest lecturer, and finally, teaching the occupational therapy component at a home health aid training program. She wrote her book, Activities to Do with Your Parent Who Has Alzheimer's Dementia, after her mother's diagnosis. It was at that time that Ms. Levy began speaking at caregiver training sessions and Alzheimer's family support groups. How are you doing today, Judy? Good morning, Jason. Thanks for having me. Of course. Looking forward to our time together. But before we get started, for those that are joining us, if you have any questions, type those questions in the box. And uh, time permitting at the very end, we will do everything we can to get your uh, questions answered. So, Judy, um, what is an activity? Oh, boy, Jason. An activity Starting is something good. you do, and it's, it can be purposeful, or it can be just something that's improving interaction. It's keeping you relating to the area around you. So an activity doesn't have to be a specific, let's, let's build a house activity. It can be, what are we gonna wear today? Let's discuss the weather. What shirt would you like to choose for the weather? So the activity is a choice of what you're getting somebody to do. The issue with dementia is somebody's functional level. So can they, are they at a point that they can do an activity that you're giving? Is the activity too complicated? How do you make it easier? What's appropriate? And how do you set somebody up for an activity to get from them what you want. Do you want them to get dressed? Do you want them to do an arts and crafts project? Do you want them to set the table? Each one of these situations is an activity. A lot. Now that's that's good. A question then, how do you, what makes an activity work or not then? Well, it, first of all, you wanna find out about the person. So I want to backtrack from the activity to pretty much looking at the person and the diagnosis, a person isn't just a diagnosis, a person is a person. They're a combination of all their life experiences. So they can be a mom, they can be a sister, they could be a grandma, they can be just an individual dad, but they happen to have a difficulty with something. So what's their problem? Can they see? If you give an activity that's related to somebody needing to see and they can't see, <laughs> you're going to fail. It's not a good activity. If you give somebody an activity that they have to listen to instructions and they're not able to follow more than a one to two step instruction and you're giving a whole litany of things to do, they're going to fail. So you're getting into the diagnosis of understanding that they're not able to comprehend more than a simple direction. You're getting into, can they hear you? You're getting into, can they see you? So one of the issues, I'll, I'll give an example in regards to eating, which is just because my mind just flew there for the moment, is that some people have macular degeneration. And when they have macular degeneration, they're not seeing in the middle, they're seeing in the outside. 
So let's say you sit somebody at a table and you put the food that you want them to eat and your activity is having lunch and you want them to eat, but they can't see in front of you, in front of them because of their medical visual issue. So if you move the plate further away, you're putting it into a field of vision where they could see. If you make it more complicated and you're in a facility and you have people sitting next to each other, which with COVID, they're not sitting so next to each other anymore. They can't see necessarily their plate, but they can see the person's plate to the side of them. You don't want them eating off the neighbor's plate. How do you delineate where their space is? And it might be as simple as putting red tape on the edge so that they know that they have to look within their boundary. So when you're setting up an activity for somebody, you have to take into consideration their physical limitations. My mother couldn't hear out of one side. So where do I sit when I want to give her an instruction? Do I sit where on the side where she can hear me? Or do I sit on the side where she can't hear me so she has to pay attention to the side that she's probably ignoring because she can't hear out of that side? So counterintuitively, I would be nasty and sit on the side that she can hear. When I'm being really nice, I can sit directly across from her so that she can see me and she can hear me and she doesn't have to pay attention to the side she can hear. And if I sit on the side that she's most comfortable with, I've taken away a lot of pressure, but I'm, um, I'm not. That's the only thing I'm working on. So the therapist in me wants her to turn her head to compensate. The daughter in me wants to sit on the side that's easiest. So I have this dichotomy because I'm a therapist by training. And as a child, I want my, my parent or my loved one or my client to succeed. So I have to evaluate where I'm at with that. So the other issue that you get that's into. What, that's one of the things I wanted to, if you don't, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Now that's one of the things, if you don't, if you, I just wanted to touch on your, your experience for many years as an occupational therapist and then a daughter. I was, how, how did that mesh with you? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was a very difficult time. And when I get anxious, I get clinical. And as a child, you don't want to be clinical with your parent. You want to be a child. Right. But my go-to thing is to be a therapist. And um, it wasn't easy. So I got into, um, I, how did I set up an activity for my mother and have it not be demeaning and have it be something she was interested in? And it really gets into knowing about my mother as a person, what she would consider doing. So I can't do an arts and crafts project with somebody who hates arts and crafts. So I have to find out about the person. So. I, I had one woman call me and she wanted to know her father loved baseball games and their time together was going to a baseball stadium and going to a major league baseball game. And he had dementia and it was too much for him. So to go to the stands, to go through whatever. So we talked about going to a local little league game. And he loved it because it was on a local level and it was small and they didn't have to travel and they didn't have the tumult. You have, but what it's going to is the activity has to suit the individual. And it's, it's important. 
that gets into also if I look at the man going to a baseball game and he's got to climb the stairs and his balance is lousy, maybe I want to bring a folding chair with me to have him sit down on the lawn to watch. And then we can go when we want. We don't have to climb up bleachers to get in front of her and back of somebody. So I can adapt how I'm taking him to an activity. There, there was another woman who called me and she wanted to take her mother to the town Christmas tree celebration. Well, everybody in town went to the celebration and it was overwhelming with the number of people, but she still wanted to do the tree lighting ceremony. So they did it on television because it was a lot easier to watch it one-on-one -on -one and then go into the living room to do their tree lighting. So because you did something in the past, you may not be able to do it in the present. And you have to evaluate if it's working or not. If it's not working, they'll tell you. <laughs> and I think the, the, the thing that I'm sure you'll understand, you, you know this more than anybody, is you treat the individual. You don't just treat the dementia, right? You, you treat the individual. And, oh. and the, everything you set up, all the, the activities and everything is for the individual. It's definitely for the individual. And if you're dealing with a client, it's different than dealing with a relative. A relative, you, you can get frustrated with a relative. They can yell at you and they yell at you. And if they don't like what you're saying, get up, say, I'm going to take a breather, walk out of the room, come back in, and it's a new day. And you can start all over. That's the nice thing about getting further along in dementia is you leave the room and then you come back in and it's new all over again. But if they want to please you, that's the major thing is whoever you're with, if it's a client or if it's a family member or any, anyone that you happen to be working with, their goal is to interact with you. That's the activity part of it. And they want to make it, make it right for you, not necessarily to please for them. So they're working to be helpful to you. Um, I think that's the major thing to remember when you're dealing with somebody is they're, they're an individual. You want to treat them with respect and you want to step back and look at them as a person and see what they can or can't do. Right. Um, so if I'm thinking about two different things, Judy, you have activity and you have a task. Can you talk about the differences between the two for me? Sure. <laughs> a task is a specific step. In a, litany of, in a list of things to do, a specific task. So I'm gonna go to putting on a sweater on a cold morning. A specific task is taking the sweater off a hanger. What's the activity? The activity is getting dressed appropriately for the weather. And the specific task or the specific step is what you need to do to accomplish your goal. So it's interchangeable in my mind that because the task itself, the taking the shower off the hanger, is an activity. If you and if you stop to think about each step in it, and you explain that to a caregiver, and they've done that and they've succeeded, it's a sense of accomplishment for the caregiver, as well as for the person. But the caregiver is succeeding in what they're doing, which is really important in preventing burnout. Because burnout is the pits. Right. Um, can we talk about assessment? So if we go back to activities, how do you uh, assess whether you need to alter an activity? 
<laughs> if they won't do it, that's one way. Um, if somebody needs to have things leveled down, okay, I think of dementias and onion disease, and I mention it in my book, that you're like peeling off skill level. So you're getting, if, if somebody can't follow what you're saying because it takes, it's, it's too difficult, you have to limit choice. So if the choice is, okay, I've got crayons here. I'm going to pick them up. Let's do it. Okay. I have triangular shaped crayons. They're from a company, Melissa and Doug. I happen to love these crayons. And I like them because they're really vibrant and they're triangular. They don't roll off the table. They're easy to hold. The colors are good. They don't leave that goo on your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of these. What I like about this is I could say to my client, we're going to color today. Which crayon would you like to start with? Would you like the green one? Would you like the red one? Would you like the yellow one? And they look at it and they don't know what I'm talking about. I can say, I've got two crayons. Which one would you like? And if they still can't make the decision, I'm going to say, here's the red crayon. I want you to draw X. My mother, and I'll put it into a personal thing, was this really, really phenomenal bridge player. And she had master points and she was a super bridge player and she was super interactive and she was a dynamite country club woman. As her dementia progressed, and she had it for 10 years, as her dementia progressed, we went from playing gin to playing war, to sorting cards by suit, to sorting cards by color, to counting the number on the card. So as something doesn't work, you have to change it so it reaches a point that they can work. There was a day that we wanted to play, um, we wanted to play gin, but she could, she knew how to play gin, but she didn't know what gin was because she didn't remember that gin related to X. But if I set her up, it was automatic and she started to do it. So there, there's one thing I want to go back to with the setup in regards to an individual, if I could. And that gets into balance and sitting safety. And if somebody's in able to sit in a chair without arms, that's fine. If somebody needs more support, this is the therapist, not the daughter. They may need a chair with arms. And if they need to be in a wheelchair, the wheelchair may not necessarily move up to the level of the desk. It may not have desk arms that are like cut out arms on the, on the wheelchair to get close enough to allow to do an activity. You may have to put a lap tray on top of the wheelchair arms to allow somebody to do something. So in each case, you want to make sure that a person is seated stably. Is that, is that a word? Stably? Stable. That they're Today stable. Is. Yeah. And that their feet reach the floor. So there's nothing worse than having your feet hanging in space at a place that you're, you need to be for a period of time. So when you set somebody up to do something, you want to make sure they're comfortable. Uh, can we go ahead, uh, talk a little bit more about activities? How would you structure and prepare for an activity? Well, okay. I like doing an activity in the morning. Okay. I like it. I think people are most alert 
They're most engaging with you. They hopefully come off of a night's sleep. And I like to have something that shows that an activity is gonna start so that the activity be set up at the same place at a table, let's say, and put a tablecloth on the table. And that's gonna be like a signal that that's where you're gonna have your activity and it's gonna start and it's gonna be the minute you put the tablecloth on the table, we're gonna do an activity. Help me open the tablecloth and they can do it. Where would you like to sit? It's another decision-making point. Where are you gonna sit? That's your next stop that you're gonna do. I use a dark tablecloth if I'm working with something that's light colored so that they can see the contrast easier. And I use a light tablecloth if I'm doing something dark like dominoes or something that might be a dark thing. I turn off the radio. I turn off the television. I turn off anything that's extraneous in another room that might cause some kind of distraction. And the only thing that we're doing is the activity. And I want it to last 10 to 15 minutes and no more. And then it's enough. And then you can go to an activity that's standing and moving so that you're not sedentary all morning. You can have um, catch. You can, and, and there's a way to have, excuse me, there's a way to have catch with a different size ball. So let's say you have somebody, and a nurse had contacted me with um, a question that anytime she played catch with her father, he squinted. So the question was, why was he squinting? What was happening? And the issue ended up being that the ball was too small and it was coming at him too quickly. So what we did is we got a balloon and the balloon, when they played catch with the balloon, came much slower through the air so that he was able to grab it easier. So instead of having a ball, we switched it to a balloon. The other thing you can do is instead of having catch by catching it, you can play catch by rolling it. So you could sit on one side of the table from the other and roll the tape, roll the ball between two lines. If you go out of line, you don't get a point. If you stay on the line, you get a point, you can have a competition and see who wins. So it's it's a way of changing catch to change it and make it within their limits of what they can do. Does that help? Absolutely. Uh, this is the part I'm looking forward to. Uh, can you give us some sample activities uh, that you find just around your house? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm a grandma, so I have some grandma things around my house. So I have the things that go on the refrigerator, the magnets, but you can't necessarily make a word, but you can find, can you see these? It's a, it's a box of all different color of magnetic alphabet letters. They're different colors. So you can sort them by color. And I don't have to write a word out of the X with making an X-ray, but this is purple. I can find all the purple. I can find all the yellow. And then I can count which color has the most numbers, which, which color has the greatest amount. I can do it with coins. Since everybody's hoarding coins lately, you can separate coins by by quarters and dimes and nickels and which is the biggest and which is the smallest. Let's make a circle shape out of the dimes and let's make it into a face so that the eyes are gonna be the quarters and the nickels are gonna be the mouth and the face is gonna be the dimes. Um, I've done things with a rice box where you take 
like a bag of rice that you buy at the supermarket. And then I've hidden things in the rice, in the bowl. So I've hidden a pencil, I've hidden a fork, I've hidden a spoon, and you have to reach into the rice and you have to figure out what it is. You have to find it and figure out what it is before you take it out of the rice. So I've done that. And I've taken the same objects. If I hit a fork, I put a fork on the counter. If I hit a spoon, I put the spoon. If I hit an eraser, I have a duplicate of it on the counter and I hide it into the rice, the duplicate. They have to find it, feel it, and tell me which one of those things it is. So I can use the rice. I can use the silverware tray, which is everybody's favorite thing. I can dump out all the silverware and then that's being nasty, but I can dump out the silverware or even empty the dishwasher, putting the silverware into the correct slot. That's a good one. Um, it's also not, not a demeaning one. If I, if I go to say I want to string pasta, string pasta that's kind of, I don't know that I would do that unless you want to make a present for your grandchildren for Valentine's Day. I don't think I would have somebody stringing pasta, but I would have them find a piece of pasta of the ziti in the rice and see if you can find it um, so that you're using things that you have. I don't, I'm not big really. I'm going out to buy things. Um, I pulled out some spools of thread, which I, I think I showed you. Yes. I like spools of thread because it's easy to hold and they're easy to see. I, can you see them? And you can yes. stack the spools of thread. And I did this with my mother weight competition because she had so many spools of thread in her button box. Who could build the highest tower before it falls over? And she she got pretty good. She got up to about 10 before they knocked over. But we would have a competition and we would keep we would keep score. Um, the other thing that we did is I sorted buttons because we we have buttons. And I don't know if you're a button person, but I like buttons. And they're in different colors and they're in different sizes and you can sort them by size and shape and color and you can count them. Um, the other thing could be with the newspaper and it, you could reach a point where somebody can't comprehend what it is that they're reading, but they could cut out the letter A from the headline. We could get all KA for knowledgeable aging in the newspaper, cut it all out and see how many you can find. So there's things that you can do that are just available around your house. And if you can't manage scissors, you can circle all the case with a marker pen. So without going out to spend a lot of money, there's things that you can do in your house. Um, talk about your message for caregivers as far as what you've seen in your 40 plus years from occupational therapy. You know, we were talking off air about, you know, the whole pediatrics thing from the get go, right? As far as textbooks to where you are now, I'm just curious, what would you tell a caregiver today that has a loved one or a patient that has uh, dementia? Um, if you have a caregiver, love them. They are your, your lifeline to dealing with your, with your family member or your client who has dementia. Dementia doesn't go away when you leave. It's there all the time. And your caregiver is, if you have a good caregiver, that's worth, worth their weight in gold and you don't want them to burn out. 
and you want to have them be involved with the care. You don't want them to just be a, a slave to your parent. You want them to feel valuable and valued. And the biggest thing that I've learned and, and what I did with the with my book is that I wanted the caregivers to communicate between each other. And I found that with dementia, when somebody's ready to go home at the end of the day before the next caregiver comes on, they're gone. They're there eight hours, 10 hours, they wanna go, they're gone. So the way of having communication between caregiver A and caregiver B was sometimes, in my mind, was missing when it started. So I came up with an assessment form that you can write down notes on what you did with the person in terms of an activity during the day that the caregiver can just leave. Where did they sit? When did you do it? Was it before breakfast? Was it after breakfast? Did it work? Did they hate it? Was it too close to dinner that they were hungry? Was it starting to be nighttime that sundowning was coming in to be an issue? How did it work? Did you do it again the next day? Did it still work? And leaving those kind of notes to help the caregiver not reestablish the wheel each time they come in. And uh, we had a woman that, that a primary caregiver, I was like the care manager, but this woman was, yeah. God bless her, just God bless these women and men that take care of people. It's a really, really difficult job. And it's a job and it doesn't, it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. So if you have a good caregiver, you're really lucky. Does that help? Judy, that's, that's excellent. Judy, so how can people find you? How can they find me? Okay, I have my book, which is Activities to Do with Your Parent Who Has Alzheimer's Dementia, and it's available on Amazon. I don't know if you can see this, but that's what it looks like. And you can contact me, which I would love, and I will answer you. And here I'm going to spell it out because it's it's got a second A in it. Dementia activities at gmail.com. D-E-M-E-N-T-I-A-A-C-T-I-V-I-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. There's two A's in the middle because I got creative and you know there it is. So <laughs> dementia activities at gmail.com. And if you email me, I will answer you. And if you have a question, I will answer you. And if you want the book, it's available on Amazon. It's activities to do with your parent who has Alzheimer's dementia. And I think it's beneficial. I'm biased, I wrote it, but I think it's a good book and it has helped, I think, a lot of people. And I hope to hear Very from good. you. Yeah, well, thank you, Judy. This has been... Uh extremely informative and once again uh, recommend purchasing the book it is on Amazon activities to do with your parent who has Alzheimer's dementia thank you again Judy um, really enjoyed this um, till next time my name is Jason Kotar I'm your host and this is knowledgeable aging <laughs>